0: We are currently in the middle of our Pathway series, right? We're currently in the middle. We went through the mission of the church to know and enjoy God. Then we moved on to the vision, right, to rescue, reclaim, and revive a broken world for his kingdom. And now we are going through our core values. We went through the first, the second, and the third, and now we're on to our fourth. But before we go into that, I want to ask you guys a simple question, and that question is, why are we going through these things? Why are we going through our core values? Why are we spending the first three months of 2018 going through our mission, going through our vision, and spending all this time to tell you about our core values? Why? You see, there are two reasons why. The first is a a simple uh, answer of, identity. You see, I want to tell you about the identity of this church. I think that is so important here. It's important for you to understand what we believe in as a church. You see, this is a huge, uh, this is a huge, huge value system because if you don't understand this and you'll never have ownership over it. You see, if you don't believe in something, why would you ever belong to it? You get what I'm saying? So we want you to have ownership over this. We want you to know and understand who we are so you can join us as well. And see, that becomes the second reason we are telling you this. The second reason we're going over these core values, why we're telling you about our identity, is because it's your choice now. It's your choice. You see, your choice is either to say, yes, this is who I am, this is where I want to be, and this is where I am going, or it's your choice to say, no, this is not what I want to believe, this is not where I am, and this is not where I'm going. You see, it's going to be your choice, but you will have to make a choice. You see, God, he desires commitment. He doesn't go back and forth on his promises. He doesn't go back and forth on his decisions, and he expects the same From his children. So for us, for this church, you see, we rescue, reclaim, and revive because he first did those for us. You see, we believe in the truthfulness of the Bible. We believe in the power of preaching. We believe in the persistence of prayer, you see, because he is good and he is mighty and he has done those things for us, you see. We believe in those things, but now it's your choice in what to believe. You know, right now we're in the middle of our First Timothy class, right? And it's a it's a good class, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a, okay, a couple. Of years I I for me, I've been blessed. I've been so blessed, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say that because I'm the teacher. But for me, it's been it's been so good. Um, we're actually more than halfway through. We only have a, a couple more classes left, but um, it's been awesome. We've we've talked about I mean, what is so we've talked about. Does God accept your prayers? When you're angry. We talked about that, right? Does, does God accept, will, will God still listen to your prayers when you're angry? We talked about, is, uh, we talked about what else? Maybe, uh, oh, does God have different expectations for pastors than he does for members? Should we have different expectations for pastors than for members, right? We talked about that. We also talked about, uh, are we allowed to come to church with braided hair, right? <laughs> we talked about, we, I'm not kidding, Paul spent an entire sentence, and we spent over 10, 15 minutes talking about that one question. You see, that braided hair, I'm just going to tell you a little bit, that braided hair does not mean braided hair. That braided hair symbolizes a boastful heart, you see. When you come in with braided hair, that's a status symbol back in the day, and that brought disunity in the church. They brought, that brought disunity in the place where you should have unity, you see. So don't braid your hair. Say to your neighbor, don't braid your hair. Don't braid your hair. You see? Don't braid your hair. All right? All right, all right, so we've been going through First Timothy, right? We've been going through First Timothy and it's been good and we've been going through the purpose of the church. But you see, before we went through the purpose, before we went through any of those chapters, I wanted to make sure. I want to make sure that we went through one thing in the very beginning because I thought it was one of the most important things, and that is the history of our church. You see, the reason why I want to go through the history of our church is because we did not come from ordinary means. You see, God performed miracle after miracle to bring us to where we are today. And it's been crazy because we have seen families restored even now. We have seen relationships restored even now. We have seen huge things happen even now. And God's hand has been evident from the very beginning up until today, he has. But there is something I want to stress to you right now. That our church may have started from miracles, but it is not miracles that sustain us. It, has, it is miracles that we see in the lives of our congregation today, but it is not miracles that we rely on. You see, our reliance is upon God alone. That means that the words we have spoken up here are not empty, but they're actually everything. That you see that even if not a single miracle occurs again in this place, that we will still continue to follow the Lord. That even if there's not a single other person in these chairs, that even if God does not speak another word to us, that we will still value the Bible, that we will still look at preaching, we will still look at prayer, and we will still value evangelism. You see, it is not miracles that sustain us. And so now it becomes your choice. What do you want? Does is that, is that go along with what you believe? Or does it not? You're going to have to make that choice, and you know, I'm not saying that this is easy because it's not. You know, we we love this phrase. We love the phrase of we. Uh, Was it um, we? Uh, when we are unfaithful, God stays faithful, right? We love that phrase. Oh man, when when I'm unfaithful, I, at least I know that God stays faithful. But I want to ask you guys: Haven't there been times that you felt when you have? stayed faithful, and yet it seems like God is unfaithful? I, okay, that's just me then, I guess. But for, for me, at least, there have been times when it, I have done everything right. I have done my quiet time. I have prayed. I have given. I have done these things, and yet God still hasn't answered my prayers. And yet God still, it doesn't seem like he's listening to me. You see, it seems like I have stayed faithful, and yet God is unfaithful. You see, there will be seasons in your life where God steps back even when we step forward in faith. That's called walking in the wilderness. You see, Jesus, he walked in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And you see, he was tempted by Satan every single day at that time. But it wasn't God who left him there. God was with him there. But God allowed those temptations to come during his wilderness walk. You see, God will never leave you, but he will allow hardships to come. This past year, we went through the book of Genesis. And we went from the creation story all the way down to the beginning of the exodus. And we love the story of the Exodus, right? We love that story. We, we have, there's movies about it. There's songs about it. There's Bible studies about it. We love the story of the Exodus, but you see, not many people have heard about the exile, you see. Most people have heard about the miracles that God did to bring the Israelites into the land of Canaan, but not many people have heard about the sins that the Israelites committed that got them kicked out. You see, we don't hear about that side of the story. You see, God performed miracle after miracle to bring the Israelites into the land to call that nation Israel. But in their unfaithfulness, they decided, no, they're going to reject God and seek their own gods. You see, the Israelites, they weren't walking in the wilderness. They were walking in sin. And so they were attacked to the point where they were cast out slaves to a nation called Babylon. You see, this wasn't a season of testing by God to strengthen their faithfulness. It was because of their faithlessness that God gave them over to the desires of their heart. You see, don't mistake you walking uh, don't mistake your belief in your walking in wilderness when you're actually walking in sin. You see, too many of us start to believe that the things that are happening to us are because God put that in our lives, that we are doing everything right, and yet God is still punishing us for some reason. Don't blame God for giving you the desires of your heart. You see, we walk in the wilderness. Do not walk in sin. And you see, that's where the Israelites were in the exile. They had seen his power, but they had chosen to leave. So God raises up this prophet named Ezekiel to warn the people of the destruction of the temple. You see, the Israelites, they had been attacked in their land, and yet they did not turn back to God. They had been taken out of their land and put into slavery, and yet they did not turn back to God. And so for his very last warning, he goes to Ezekiel, he raises up this prophet, and he says, You need to tell them that the destruction of the temple is near, that my very last warning is about to happen. Go and tell the Israelites. And that's where we pick up in these verses here. I want to read verse 1 and 2 to you right now. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, if I bring the sword upon the land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman. You see, this was not a time of prosperity for the Israelites. They were in chains working as slaves like their ancestors. This was not a time of prosperity for Ezekiel. You see, his wife had just passed away, and his mourning was cut short. God did not wait for Ezekiel to finish his mourning for God to speak. You see, God did not wait until Ezekiel was ready. God spoke in Ezekiel's sorrow. It's sometimes at our lowest that God will speak loudest. You see, some of us are hurting right now, and we have no idea. I think at this place, there could be marriages that are on breaking point, but no one else knows. There could be people here whose grades are about to get them kicked out of school, but no one else here knows. There may be people who hate waking up because they hate going to work and they want to change their job so badly, but they have no idea where to go. And yet no one else here knows. You see, we may be in complete desperation, but maybe, maybe it's in your desperation that God has a specific word for you that you would not have been able to hear if you were satisfied. Do you get what I'm saying? Your circumstances, my brothers and sisters, do not dictate your responsibility. Your circumstances do not dictate your responsibility. When God speaks, we obey. Do not ignore when God calls you. Walk in obedience. You see, if you do not walk in obedience To God, then God will not be the one directing your steps. Your circumstances will be. Israel had turned away from God, and yet God raised up a prophet. Ezekiel was in mourning, and yet God still called him. But you see, I want you to understand something. I want you to understand this that, yes, God called him in the middle of his mourning. Yes, he did not allow Ezekiel to finish mourning his wife. That's true. But God was not calling Ezekiel to hurt him. God was calling Ezekiel to restore him. When we walk in the path that he wants for us, then you may not understand everything that is going on. You see, God never promises that. But he does promise you peace within the chaos of that. He promises you peace beyond understanding. So God calls Ezekiel and places him as a watchman. You see, a wall was built around a city for two reasons. The first was so the watchman could go on the wall and look out towards the horizon and make sure that there are no enemies coming. You see, the watchman was the first line of defense for the outside. Yet at the same time, The watchman had to look behind him because there were thieves who would go around and steal the crops. There would be thieves who would go around and break into homes in the middle of the night. And you see, the watchman was the first person to be able to see that and warn others. So the watchman was the first line of defense for the inside. A watchman's job, you see, was not only important, it was essential. And God called Ezekiel to be a watchman for his people. Our responsibility is the word of God, not where we are. It's interesting because there's nowhere else in the Bible that God uses watchmen other than in Ezekiel. There's no other place that God ever uses this word watchman other than when he's connecting it to warning. And I think that's because he understands the difficulty of telling others about Jesus. You see, he understands the difficulty of looking to the outside. And he also understands the difficulty of rebuking our brothers and sisters who are in sin. You see, speaking in truth, looking to the inside. Those who are on the ground can only see what's right in front of them. You see, when you are on the ground and when you're down When you're you're here and you just look up, all you can see is what's right in front of you. You can't see the thieves that are going around. You can't see the enemies on the horizon. All you can see is right in front of you. Too many of us, you see, are living as people on the ground when God has called you to be watchmen on the wall. That's why, brothers and sisters, we have no desire to, to tell others about Jesus. That's why we don't see the danger that is in front of them, why we don't see the danger that's in front of us. You see, you need to stop looking with a worldly perspective when God has placed you with a kingdom one. You see, you'll never fulfill God's commands in your life when you only focus on your circumstances. Ezekiel was in his 20s when God called him into Prophetic ministry. He lost his wife, but he had no time to mourn her death. Instead, he was called because the people needed to hear. You know, there will be times in your life when God calls you to minister in the midst of your mourning. Don't ignore that. God knows your circumstances. He knows what you're going through. And there's a reason why he is calling you to look past your own situation and look to the situation of others. Our circumstances do not dictate our responsibility. Now, let's read verse 7. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. You see, Ezekiel, he was not speaking his own thoughts here. He was not thinking of ways to persuade the people into believing in God. You see, he was simply the messenger for the message. God is telling Ezekiel, these words that you hear from my mouth, just say exactly, exactly what I tell you. Some of us are afraid of telling others because, you see, we're afraid we don't know enough. We are afraid that you know, my, my words that I speak are too different than my actions. That if I say something, that I'm going to get judged for it. That, that I'm, I'm filled with fear and that I don't know if I can really say these things because I fear rejection. I don't want when people... I don't want people to think badly of me. You see, we are filled with fear because we don't trust that God will use us. The opposite of fear is faith, you see. You are not enough to tell others about God. You are not enough to correct others in the church. You see, Ezekiel was not enough to persuade a nation He was just one man who was born during the exile. He was in his early 20s. He was already preoccupied with the death of his wife. He was in no condition to do that. He was not enough. You see, it's important to realize that when God commands you, you are speaking with his words and not yours. That when you are walking in faith, there is no fear because you are speaking his thoughts and not yours. God has given you his authority to speak his words. Do you believe that? Do you see, that's the only reason why I'm here before you today. That's why I can stand here before you. That's why I, brothers, brothers, look at me. That's why I have no problem. <laughs> brothers, that's why I have no problem. You know, I have no problem encouraging you. I have no problem rebuking you into how to be a godly man. I have no problem with that. But at the same time, sisters, I have no problem encouraging you, and I have no problem rebuking you either on how to be a godly sister. And for the singles, you know what? I have no problem rebuking you and encouraging you on how to live a godly single life. I've been doing that. I've been trying to. It's hard. I understand. But at the same time, for the married couples here, I have no problem encouraging you and rebuking you and guiding you on how to have a godly marriage. And for those who have children, I have no problem doing the exact same and guiding you on how to raise godly children. I have no problem. Now, you may say, Danny, you don't have that experience. You're right. I don't have experience. I don't have experience being a woman. Praise God. (laughs) Right? I don't have experience. I have never been married. I've, I've never had children. You see, I'm not able to do this out of experience, but experience does not equal authority. Do you get that? God gives you authority through his word. Experience gives you a lot. I agree, it does. It gives you a lot. But you see, experience, it gives you knowledge. God, he gives you wisdom. When God saved your soul, he put in you the Holy Spirit that guides you with the right words. I'm going to read you Matthew 28, 18 to 20. I want you to follow along here. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I'm going to repeat that. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son. And of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, this passage is called the Great Commission. Jesus, he had been born in a manger. He lived a perfect life. He died a sinner's death, was raised again on the third day, and on his very last day on earth. He gave this one command to his disciples, to those who call themselves Christ followers. And yet we feel at times so inadequate, right? I can't do that. Yeah, sure, God called me, but I'm not ready. I, I've, I did this and I've done this. You do know my past. I, I can't do that type of thing. I, I don't have the ability I don't have the preparedness. I don't have the, the know-how to be able to, to do these commands. I, I can't talk to someone in truth and in grace and do all these things. You see, you may feel inadequate, but God always, I want you to hear this, God always equips those he commands, always. If he has commanded us to make disciples, he has also equipped us with the right words, So don't worry because God's words are your words when you speak through him. Now, this does not mean that the minute you begin to talk to someone out on the street, this, is, this does not mean the minute you start to speak to your brother and sister and try to correct them that you'll all of a sudden start speaking verses that you've never heard before or speaking in the biblical Greek and the Hebrew or speaking in tongues. No, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying here. Is that even when you stumble, that even when you stutter, that God is able to work through you. That he will still be able to plant his seeds of faith in that person, even if you can't speak well. You see, God does not work through your eloquence. He works through your obedience. So Ezekiel obeys. Ezekiel obeys him, and God tells him his sword is coming. And it's the watchman's job to blow the trumpet and warn the people. You see, if the people hear the sound and don't turn from their ways, then you want that—their blood is on their own head. Their blood, that's their blood. You can't do anything about that. But you see, if you see the sword coming down, if you see that sword, Ezekiel, and you do not blow your horn— Then their blood is on your head. God, you see, He's giving a final warning to the Israelites. And I want you to listen to this part. I'm going to read the beginning of verse 8 and the beginning of verse 2, and I want you to listen. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you will surely die. If I say, In verse 2, it starts, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon a land. If I bring the sword. If I bring the sword. You see, God, God is the one who brings the sword. He is the one who judges. God is in control. He is in control of all situations, and he is in control of all times. But you see, one thing that I've come to realize is that our church culture hates that idea. It hates the idea that God would bring pain along with prosperity. You see, the church idea, the church culture hates the idea that God would bring loss along with love that we love focusing on just love. You see, it's interesting how believing that God is only love stops him from being your only Lord. You see, at least that's what I've seen. It's easy to see God as love because, you know, we read that love covers all things. We read that love, what, believes all things, endures all things, and hopes all things. See, if our God is only love, then you know what, we have all the time in the world. There's no rush because at the end of the day, if God really is only love, then he'll take care of everything else. There's no point of evangelism. There's no point in trying to correct others who are walking down the wrong path. There's no rush because he is love, and that's it. And yet we conveniently forget about verses like Exodus 34, 14, when God tells the Israelites, you see, I'm not going to let you go down the wrong path. I'm not going to let you worship other idols because, you know what, I'm a jealous God, and I will do absolutely everything, everything to make sure that you are only worshiping me. You see, God, he is in control of the good and the bad but that should give us comfort because then we know that god he is working for the good of those who love him you see that situation that seems hopeless god he is in control that relationship that looks broken you see god he is in control The person who hates the gospel and who's so resistant every single time that you tell him about God. You see, God is in control of that as well. He is able to bring healing in the hopeless. He is able to change the heart of the hardened. Our God is able to do that because he is in control. Ezekiel was a prophet during the exile. He was born to a people who did not know God, and he was given a task to warn them of a sword that they had no idea was coming. But God chose Ezekiel to be spoken through. God will complete his work. He will. But he chooses to work through us. Will you accept that? or will you run away from it? You see, it's not an easy thing. It's not easy. It would be easier to put on blinders and to stay low and just to look directly at what's in front of us. But you see, we have been given a responsibility. Our place is not to be just people on the ground. Our place is to be watchmen on the wall. Amen? Yeah, let's pray. I want you guys to take just a few minutes right now just understanding what God has called you for, understanding what God has placed in you, that this is a responsibility that should not be taken lightly, and this is not a responsibility that you can just let go But that even in your circumstances, that even in the hopelessness of what you're going through, that even in your mourning, God has called you for something more. You see, He is calling you right now. We are watchmen on the wall, and yet our perspective is so shallow. Our perspective is on the ground when we're supposed to be on the wall. And that's why we have no type of that's why we have no type of danger. That's why no type of warnings because we have no care that these things are happening. But I want you to pray right now. Just pray, just take a few moments just to say, God, where where am I right now? What can I do? What can I do more of God to, that I can be a watchman? Change my heart, change my mind, change my perspective so that I can see more of who you are, so I can understand the urgency of what you are telling me to do, that I can really evangelize, that, God, that I can do what you have commanded me to do. So let's just take a few moments to do that right now.